Hello and welcome to the show Block Punks with me, Gillian Gotzel, a crypto writer. Now today I have a very interesting man and I'm going to ask him about his advice and his ideas. But first of all, to set up to explain who he is, Stephen Mead is the bullseye guy. You may have heard of him. Um, he is the founder of Mineta Pro, a global barter platform, Magmo, social media photo sharing, and thanks for your service, a nonprofit for first responders, lawmakers, and the military. So those are only some of the things you've done. I know you have a whole portfolio and bucket of, yeah. of things that you've done. So Stephen, welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you. Great to see you. Thank you. So can you please, because you are very impressive, we've spoken before, just tell me some of the things that you've done in terms of your companies and what you've achieved and are currently achieving too. Yeah, I, I appreciate Jillian. So I have this sort of arc of entrepreneurship. I'll move through very quickly uh, because I'm old, so it's going to seem long. But lifelong entrepreneur, I've technically never had a job and I didn't know why I was always accused of being a, a workaholic. And then a couple of years ago, my mom and dad were divorced when I was three. A few years ago, I learned that my real dad died when he was 60 of alcoholism. And it was this fascinating epiphany. I'm like, aha, I'm an addict. I, I'm a work addict. So I have an addiction gene that just manifested. And so when I look at my, my history, uh, I started retail stores in college selling watches. I'm still a big watch fan. When I was 20, my account was doing credit improvement. And I looked at it, my mind always said, how do I scale? I'm just wired differently. So I wrote three books and I had the fourth ever infomercial on television when I was 20, 21, kind of funny seeing yourself at two in the morning. Uh, I did when I was not 20, know this. This is amazing. Yeah, this, I know you're successful in your current career and I know you from there, but I didn't realize at 20, you were already such a go-getter. Yeah, I had the fourth ever infomercial on television called Give Yourself Credit. And it was for people that had bad credit. Still to this day, there's still credit improvement seminars and companies. I, I started that 30 years ago. Um, but when I was 22, the arc of my history sort of starts. I went to work at Travelers Group selling insurance, mutual funds, and mortgages, full commission at night. I read 357 books in six and a half years, spent thousands and thousands of hours on sales training, but I developed this system called a bullseye belief system. It's a 10 step system about being specific and targeted, outlining exactly what you want as an entrepreneur. What you do is irrelevant. What you need is important. So I have a lot of, of skills that I develop, but I've worked very hard at it. 96, I left financial services and started what was, was the world's first uh, e-commerce platform in the internet. Websites didn't exist. And I was going to write a book on networking and I wanted somebody to build a website, process credit card orders, send me checks. I wanted to talk on stage and cash checks. I'm good at talking and cashing and I suck at a lot of stuff in between. <laughs> and again, it's a principle begin with the end in mind, Stephen Covey. I knew what I wanted and then I just had to find somebody to fill that service. Didn't exist. So March of 96, I created a company, hired people building shopping carts. There were no shopping carts. My logo was a globe with a cart going around it. And that cart, that shopping cart, still the cart that are used in, in e-commerce shopping carts that we see today. Uh, but I took that company public in 99. I was 31. It was my first public transaction. So I was the first company kind of in the world for merchant processing. Tried to build a global currency in 2000. Nobody understood it because I called it the wrong thing. I called it a currency and I shouldn't have. Uh, we did Homeland Security back in 2001, enterprise software. I launched a mobile tech company, first 
first and only company in the world to ever be able to insert a four second audio message in the gap of a phone call. When you make a phone call, there's four seconds of silence. Built a, didn't work, great idea, but we're the only company in the world. So I've, I've done 11 companies, three went public on reverse mergers, five of them I'm the first one in the world to have ever done something. And so again, the reason I started with the addiction gene, I have this habit, Julian, of starting companies, trying to do what nobody in the world's ever done before, but they have to fit within a metrics of 10 things I want them to accomplish. Because you said before in a conversation that you could have lots of cars in the garage, but you're not going to drive them all. You, 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 Correct. You, you build something and then maybe you pass it on or you give it away or you sell it. It's not... It's, you don't want to, you don't want to be in charge of loads of companies. You like to focus on what you're doing. Yeah. And it's, there, there's probably three entrepreneurial answers to that. Answer one is one of my, my first step of my 10 steps in the bullseye belief system is called design your destiny. And, and I can't go through it all now. All my content's out there on the bullseyeguy.com for free. One of them talks about how do you design what you want? I have 10 outcomes that I want for a business. What's the financial net worth it potentially gives me? Can I help other people be successful at what they're already doing? There's a lot of different outcomes. And so every idea I start, I say, does it give me the outcomes I want if it's successful? When, when, when I look at things as an entrepreneur, I look at what my outcomes are. One of the things I develop with the bullseye belief system, step one is design your destiny. It says, if I were to start a company and it works, what's the outcome? Does it give me the financial outcome? Can I help other people be successful? Does it let me hang around the kinds of people I like to hang around with? Can I control my travel? One of the reasons I don't want to be a book author is I don't want to be told where to go to sign books in the middle of winter in Nebraska. I want to be able to pick. So as an entrepreneur, I have an outline that says, here are the 10 things I want a company has to give me at least seven of the 10 if it works for me to choose to pursue it. Second, to your point, Jillian, I know my strengths and weaknesses. I'm a glorified business development salesperson. I'm great at selling concepts and generating interests. I'm the guy that can hunt elephants, not the best analogy, but hunting elephants are big companies. Okay. I'm the guy that can hunt elephants in the jungle I shoot it with a bow and arrow and it will turn and look at me. You can't kill an elephant with a bow and arrow shooting at once. Again, bad analogy, but enterprise sales is not generating interest. That's business development. Sales is phone call, follow-up, email, committee. Mm. Closing sales is different than generating interest. So mm -hmm. I have this capability to see a problem pick a company that I may want to solve it and say, do I have the resources to build the technology? I can build the car. I'm not the operational CEO. I'm not the person that necessarily will drive it into revenue and, and traction. I'm the guy that builds it. It's a lot easier to sell somebody on driving a car when it's already built than it is to conceptually say, hey, I'm going to build this great car that nobody in the world's ever seen. Mm-hmm. So I tend to build companies, get them to a point where I need help for them to be ultimately successful, but I know that in my skill set. So it's not a detriment. I say, here's my skills to this level. How do I take it to the next? I need somebody else to drive. 
Okay, so and then that's when you bring in. And do you have teams of people all around the world, around the place, or how do you work that? I, I try the again. I'm I'm the entrepreneurial part of this question is my model's a bit, a bit challenging because I tend to like to build companies that have big scale and are enterprise driven and customers. For instance, Mineta Pro right now, the one we're talking about, corporate barter. I just hung up a, a, a one hour call with the Ubuntu tribe, thirty one African nations. We're coming back in a partnership, picking the top four countries and the five largest companies in the African nation to go after as customers. Well, to do that is a certain skill set. And a lot of times guys who have done that are bigger executives who want a bigger paycheck. If I'm at the startup level, you know, there, there's this gap of skill set. If you go to junior that person can't close the sale. If you go too senior, they want too much money. Or again, I have my entrepreneurial sayings with big titles mm -hmm. comes big overhead. I think say with big, big overhead comes big assistance. I've hired guys before who were big title CEOs who don't know how to do a PowerPoint. They don't know how to book their own travel. They were so far upstream. They're like, oh, well, can I call the travel department to expense my trip? I'm like, dude, you need to go on orbits. Like, you know, so so finding that skill set is, is always a challenge because I need guys in my model that are experienced enough to get into the areas and, and, and close, but entrepreneurial enough to come in early and still get their hands dirty. So how do you find your people? It's, it, it depends. It's, it's relationships. It's, I do a lot of speaking at different events around the world. So I, I have a, a, a Rolodex, but it's still not as efficient. For instance, again, the bullseye that's over my shoulder, it's about target mm -hmm. with Mineta pro right now. I have a very specific target. I've had two bad hires. They were my fault. I hired a guy, great guy, head of technology at PwC amazing guy, great, look good on paper. I let him go down the path of companies he had relationships with rather than having him go down the path of companies I targeted that needed our service. So I, I went and did a search and found a guy who looked great on paper. And I, I won't say his name because I don't want it to look bad, but he was amazing. Mm. I was a bad CEO saying, you have to go after these 10 companies. So now, for instance, I want to find somebody out of SAP or Oracle. Yes. It's sold into the supply chain at the CFO level of $10 million plus solutions to any of these 15 companies or similar. So I need a guy out of SAP or Oracle that sold ERP supply chain solutions to Ford or Maersk or Caterpillar. A guy that sold a $10 million solution to Ford can walk my solution incredibly better than me. So that's a call out we'll do in the show. Yeah, they're, they're, again, it's a it's a call out. How do I find that? So you either have to, to try and resource it on your own mm. or potentially use recruiters, but recruiters want money. So again, the, the better focus you can be on what your ask is. What I do is irrelevant. What I need is I need a guy that fits this target. And because I can articulate that, then I can get people sent to me often because I'm not saying, oh, I need a sales guy. Or, hey, Jill, who do you know that does enterprise sales? Or, uh, no, I need a guy, SAP, Oracle, supply. Like, the more yeah, specific, specific you are, hmm. 
as an entrepreneur, what I do isn't sell software. What I need is I need a guy that does this. And it's that sort of level of target focus that, that changes your perspective. Is that normally an attribute that an entrepreneur would have to have such a clear view of the people they need to support them? Is that being part of part of perhaps a successful no, it's, entrepreneur? Again, it's it's what I've learned with thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of of training and skills and books and my own mind. My own mind neurotically would read a book and say, "What are the what's the skill set I can take out of this book, and can I learn one skill and stack?" And, and again, over over my shoulder, this is the most simple one. This is called the, this is step three of my 10. And I deal with it all the time. People will say, oh, well, do you know any investors? I'm like, yeah, I know 14,000 and I have a database of 30. You know, oh, well, do you know anybody at CAA? I get this a lot at, you know, entertainers, mm. you know, or do you know any VCs? I'm like, I know a bunch, which ones? Oh, well, any of them. I'm like, a, a VC is specialized. A venture capitalist is specialized. They look at industries, they look at sectors, they look at specific stage and size. So my step here, when I work with people for, for free, I'm not a consultant, but I like helping people. I say, what's the emotional value of what you do? As an entrepreneur, what's emotional value? Like, what's cool? What do people say? I love you for this. Because people make decisions emotionally and defend them logically. So if I can get you emotionally attached, what is Mineta Pro to? We help big companies sell more and make more money. We help them save money. Like, oh, that's cool. How we do it's irrelevant. Underneath there, what are the three key industries you're going after? Sometimes people as entrepreneurs, oh, I can help everybody. I'm like, well, great. I know everybody. So we're, we're at a standstill because I can't send you everybody because you help everybody. Like, give me a target. Why so that three? next level down's industry. I mean, I just interrupt there. I say, why, why three industries? It doesn't matter. It could be a one. It could be a mono industry. Be, because the way our minds work is if one's too limited, five is too many. Three is a good number. Okay. Now it could be more, but if I say, what are the three best industries? Your mind can collapse to three. If I say, what are five or 10? Oh, one low. So it's called the power of three, the magic of three. There's probably 50 books out there on the magic of three. I've done a podcast on the power of three. Yeah. Even, even naming your company shouldn't be more than three three syllables. Oracle, Microsoft, Amazon. Hmm. So the three gets you focused, then you can expand out. But if I say, what are the three key industries you're going into? Not that you can't help everybody. What are the ones who would best appreciate you or that you've had the most success? What are the companies within those industries? Oh, I, I want to sell to Disney. Great. What's the title of the person you sell to? Not, do you know anybody at Disney? Do you know the CFO at Disney whose name is X? So the, the, the bullseye at the very end are here are the five names of the people I really want to meet. And what happens is people will forget what you do. Their mind collapses down. Again, it's called psychological sequencing, isolation of faces. If I say, I help big companies save money, I'm going after airlines, automotive, and shipping. I'm targeted companies like Maersk and MSC in the shipping. I sell primarily to the CFO or the procurement officer. Here are five guys I'd love to meet. Do you happen to know them? Your mind's going to remember company. It's going to remember title. It might know the name. Mm -hmm. I don't sell software. I talk to the CEO of Maersk. Can I get to the CEO? So entrepreneurs, 
oftentimes they don't want to be focused or they're like, I can sell to everybody. I'm the inverse. To me, isolation is a good thing. Target specific focus. I'd rather get three names from you of exactly who I'm looking for than have you think I service everybody and you send me no one. Do you know what's interesting? Um, in your training, the, the bullseye guy and uh, your thinking and your experience, um, so do you think entrepreneurs can be born or are they made? I mean, like you, you said, you, you definitely feel you get you got your entrepreneurship from your dad, as in being an addicted to work and growing companies. But you're also talking about training. So is there is it both ways? Are you born or are I, you made? It's it's a fair question. And I use it to an analogy like sports, mm-hmm. uh, like tennis. Tennis is a great one for the most part, unless you have physical limitations. Almost everybody can get out and play tennis right? We may really suck at it, but you can, everybody can get out and at least try. If you have training, if you had a coach, you will get better at tennis. Will you ever be really good? That depends on how hard you work and how much you, you dedicate and you know, what you build. Will you ever be a pro that again, it depends on, on, on limitations. So as an entrepreneur, anybody can be an entrepreneur, but when it starts coming into how much are they willing to risk, how much time do they spend? The reason my parent company, the, the, the incubator is called Big Bamboo. The metaphor of bamboo, bamboo doesn't grow for three and a half years. In those years, it's putting down roots and infrastructure. You can't see what's going on under the ground, but that bamboo is putting down roots. So when it grows, it grows very fast. As an entrepreneur, that. to me, the metaphor was you need to be improving, read books experience is the best teacher. It's also the slowest. Why make the same mistakes other people have made? Read books, study failure, That's learn very, about what that people That is have very done. clever. You're right. Experience is very slow because how can you possibly get experience across a range of industries and jobs and whatever? Yeah, it's the best teacher, but it is the slowest. And we have such tools now we didn't have before. You can read biographies of, of entrepreneurs and, and mentors. They're fascinating because you read about their failures. Mm. You know, I used to do a thing with, with college students a lot that where I'd say, who's your mentor? You know, who would you emulate? Oh, this. And I would go, well, how about this guy? And I would say, this guy failed in business, went bankrupt. Parents told him he would never make it, was adopted. I went down the list and it's Steve Jobs. Yeah. And Jobs was fired. My friend Nolan Bushnell at Atari fired him in his early job. Went back to Nolan and offered him $50,000 for a third of this thing called Apple. And Nolan's like, kid, that'll never work. You're done. So Steve Jobs went through massive failure. Some of his early ideas, the next computer didn't work. Now it's mm-hmm. called cloud computing. The Newton didn't work. The pawn, like study failures and then ask yourself when things are tough, what would Steve Jobs do? How, you know, okay, let me ask you, how do you think that Steve Jobs knew to keep on going when he was failing all the time? And we know now at the end result that he was obviously hugely successful. What do you think made him keep on going with his, with his views or with his- um, Because ambitions? I think from what I've studied with him and other guys, it, it's not a fear of failure. It's the creation of something nobody in the world's ever done before. Trying to do something nobody's ever done and being innovative and, and building things just like the world. And, and I believe Steve Jobs said this, the world doesn't know sometimes what they want until you show it to them. 
They're not going to tell you, I want something. But, but again, there's things to be learned that were fascinating. He created something years ago called the Newton. Was okay. a PDA long before. And he was brilliant. He's like, oh, the Newton's going to be smart. It's going to learn your handwriting. Well, the software wasn't up to date. The Newton failed spectacularly. Casey Cowell created something called US Robotics. Again, I'm dating myself. There was a thing called the Palm Pilot and the Wizard. Mm. And the wizard said, I'm going to force everybody to learn graffiti. Rather than learning how everybody makes an A, everybody has to make A this way. And B is it. So he said, everybody learns this. MySpace in the early days, let everybody customize their web page. Facebook came out and said, no, we're going to fix format. And when, when Facebook came out, people hated it because they couldn't customize it. Yes. But the benefit of you know, creative constraints so you, you learn and study and go, okay, what worked? Google, the reason Google was more successful than AltaVista, again, I'm using big companies people know yes. now, but going back to the, there was AltaVista and Dogpile. They, they were jumbled messes. Google came out and said, hey, I'm going to give you three simple results on a white screen, and I'm going to give you those results faster than anybody else. So, so entrepreneurs, when you study them, you don't get, you know, you, you don't get obs obs obsessed with failure. You say, okay, I'm building this because I want to do something nobody in the world's done. I want to change the world and I hope it works. This is why I tell people, they're like, oh, what if you fail at your company? Hey, at least I'm in the game. I'm, I'm out doing what I want to do. I could always go get a job and fail just like you. <laughs> I think what's interesting too as well is that I was going to ask you this question as well. The whole idea about working in the tech space as well is that you know we know that there are many jobs and things that we don't even know what they're going to be i mean the world 10 years from now could be a, a, a totally different i mean who would have who would have foreseen foreseen sorry the um, pandemic and the impact it would have on us and we're all zoom happy and all the rest of it but when you're a tech entrepreneur as opposed to maybe an entrepreneur in the i don't know in the food industry there's a lot more thinking isn't there because what you're inventing or coming up with may not have ever existed before. It's not like coming up with the best patty or the best jam. You're coming up with something that's totally. So is, is that is that a harder thing to be an entrepreneur in the tech space? Uh, I don't, I mean, I have some great friends. John Sutton's a friend of mine in food. He finds the best food products in the world and, and brings them back. Um, I, I don't know that they're they're markedly that different. You can You can create brand new food categories that, that you have the same issue you do in a new technology category. It's how do you message something that makes your attribute and your product better than somebody else's? You know, now your new jam in the food may be that it's sugar-free or comes from a region where all the grapes are, are naturally water. Like you're, you're doing something nobody in the world's ever done before. It may be messaging, it may be packaging. I think okay. most things are not revolutionary, they're evolutionary. So to be an entrepreneur, is there always an element of innovation? Could you be an entrepreneur and create something that exists already, but better, not, not innovating? Is that, is that also in the vocabulary? Yeah, not only can you create it better, sometimes you may just be able to package it or articulate it better. You know, again, I, I'm, I'm not picking on people. I've known these guys for, for years. Tony Robbins is a great example I like because people to this day love Tony Robbins mm -hmm. and, and Anthony's a big... I remember when I was studying Anthony in the early days, I used to pick him up all. And again, I don't mean to diminish it. What, what Anthony, Tony Robbins did was took 
Brandler, but he took other guys' information and packaged and presented it better. You know, there, there's infomercials you see on TV today that aren't, there's nothing new. There's a new, you know, there's a new little gadget that lets you plug in your electronics with, you know, USB. It's not anything, it's just somebody packaged it or presented it or marketed or sold it better. Paul Newman in the U.S. Paul Newman was a famous actor. He created yes. Newman's Own, salad dressing. Well, yes, for as far as I know, salad dressing's been around a long time. Newman made it cool, tied it to a charity. And now Tim Tebow, again, my friend's working on Tim Tebow's going to try and do the same kind of model around food and Christian and like it, it's packaging, it's marketing, it's presenting, it's selling. So it's the whole gamut. So it's not, it's not, it's yeah. Okay. So being an entrepreneur is, is a, it's everything. It's, it's not tech. It's not necessarily innovation. It could just be better pre presentation of a product that exists. Well, I, I see you. I'll give you a good example. I see you with a pen in your hand. I have a a, a pen as well. I've wanted, and this is an idea, somebody will eventually do it. If you do, please give me royalties. I've wanted a flat pen for 15 years. So it goes into your breast pocket? No, I used to read books a lot and people still do. And I would take notes in when I'm reading the books, but now when I'm done reading the book, I have to dog ear the book or I'll use a flat bookmark. I wanted a pen that was flat. Yeah that I could write with. And when I'm done, it became the bookmark. And if it was flat, I could put logos on it. I'd rather walk around a trade show and somebody give me a flat pen with their logo that I could use as a bookmark than another freaking round pen that I'm never going to use. Do they have pencils that are flat? Um, you could do a flat pencil. You'd have to do a mechanical one because otherwise when you grind it down, it probably wouldn't oh, work. Gonna, yeah, 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 but a flat pen would just be flat with the tube going through and a little... It would be like writing with a butter knife. Wow. So there's, and, you know. Yeah. Well, and why not? Because just, for, why haven't you actually gone ahead and into production with that one there? And it's a great question and I appreciate it. If I look at building a company and, and I would have to do molds, at the end of the day, the flat pin doesn't give me enough of the outputs of things I want. Which it you said at the very start. I, I'm going to be selling at trade shows and office shows. And, and like, that's not the world I want to be in. That is, I want that to is build an absolute amazing full circle. Cause you start off and you said, I want outcomes. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do this. I want outcomes. And we're going, you kind of want a flat pen, but not enough because it doesn't give you any of those, the seven outcomes that you were told. I want to be emotionally tied to the outcome that even if it doesn't work. Yeah. I am, but the worst thing would be is I'm successful selling pens. And at the end of the day, I'm like, this sucks because I'm doing an office trade show in Orlando in the middle of freaking summer when I want to be in Monaco at the super yacht show or the formula one or Davos in January, because I want to be around those kinds of people that are doing financial things and changing the world, not selling pens at a trade show. Like, even if I was successful at the end, I'm like, again, one of my sayings, the universe gives you exactly what you ask for if you work for it, but you better be very specific because the universe has a sad sense of humor. So, and that's a great example of, yeah. If, I want if you don't pen. define an outcome, the universe is going to be like, oh, here, you're successful. You sold a billion pins, but here you are at a trade show in Orlando. Or, or you, you, or you. You could be like a known as the pillow man. We're not not mentioning yeah. politics, but that could be your, your epitaph. Oh my yeah, goodness! Yeah, and 
And again, it's kind of the same thing with being a book author is I really, I love travel when I get to pick the locations I get to go to with the people I want to meet. If I'm a book author, my agent would send me to Des Moines, Iowa, nothing wrong with Des Moines, Iowa, I've been there, but it would send me to Des Moines, Iowa in the middle of winter at Barnes and Noble signing books for Johnny Lunchbucket. And do you know what's interesting? I'd pick that result. That would excite and, me because that's that's but, one of the outcomes. I wouldn't mind being down there signing my novels, but there'd be yeah, novels, that, not, not that's books. That's kind of the point is if that's what you want, then we say, hey, here's the outcomes. You want that. You want to be signing books and having people there and you want that interaction. So then we say, okay, if that's your outcome, what's the book? Then what what's the sector that that book fits into? Is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Is it sales? Is it self-improvement? Within there, who are the best book agents in the world? What are the best agencies? And we would reverse engineer the number one agent in the world who would like your book that would get you to that outcome. But we can't get to the agent if we don't know your outcome. If your outcome yeah. is, is books in Barnes and Noble, then great. What's that audience? And the, it's a different audience at a Barnes and Noble than it is at a, at a trade show. Mm. It's a different audience than it is you know, at a money conference where it's a bunch of sales, like the audience outcomes are different. Yes. Yeah, totally. And, and mine's a fiction book, by the way. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's and, right. And so right. if it's fiction and we reverse engineer it and then we go, all right, who are the best agencies? Who are the best representatives? Do they have other titles that are similar to yours? And if they do, then who is second in competition that doesn't have a title that would have more interest because the number two proven. guy doesn't have something that the number one guy like it's 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 just this mm. tactical target of reverse engineering that's clever because when i was listening to you talking earlier about finding supply chain and it's uh you know an sap whatever but it's interesting then looking at a book author you're doing exactly the same thing i haven't same written thing. the book i know the idea i've written the short story and i know what i want to do but i have enough to actually do what you're saying there to actually to reverse engineer and figure out where i need to pitch before i've even written it yeah, and then if you figure out where you want to pitch into whom, then with your platform, you can leverage your resource. Say, I've written a great book, fiction. Here's what it is that's cool. Mm -hmm. And here, I'd love to get it published. And here's the number one publisher. And the guy within the publishing side is this, do you know this person? I'd love to meet them. And somebody will know that person and will credibly introduce you to exactly who you want. But otherwise, if you said, do you know any book publishers or do you know a book agent? I'm like, yeah, I know 10 of them, but they all are specialized. So it's up yes. to you to identify the one you want as your target and then people can help you get there. That is interesting. That is very interesting. Tell me, is there a difference between men and women when it comes to entrepreneurship? Uh, I, I believe so. And I've been on panels with this. I was on Russia Times and RT and things like that, where... They talked about the, oh, the dearth of, of VCs aren't funding women and women are such a small percentage. And when you actually look at the numbers, it's interesting. The number of women, again, and this isn't, this is historical data. It's not picking sides. I don't believe there's limitations, mm. but I believe there's different outcomes. A, a percentage of the women build lifestyle businesses. They build things that allow them to have a family or be home early or not have to travel and be away. They're picking things that allow them to have life work balance because their desired outcomes are more around lifestyle. Men at times 
either sacrifice those things or make excuses or don't have the same outputs on, on family. So a man may be more inclined to build a business in technology, but that starts even in the early days. More, you know, boys were going into technology and programming and science and math than women. So when you manifest that at the end, you can't say, oh, VCs only fund 3% women. That's a problem. Out of a thousand people presenting or a hundred, a hundred companies that present to a VC, only five or 10 of them may even be women. So, so by default, you're going to have less women getting funded because they're not always building types of companies that qualify. So they're not even presenting to VCs. But you also just put, hit, put the nail on the head as well. When you say hit the nail on the head, when you say the outcomes and you're right, this is, it's, not, it's nothing to do with capabilities or opportunities. I think a lot of women want an outcome. They want to do what they want to do but they also want to have life balance, life family work balance, which yes. is, you know, we often Different. hear about the, the business person on their deathbed going, I wish I spent more time at work. Yeah, I wish I spent more time with my family. Yeah, and, so it's, and, and, and again, it's not sexist, but a lot of times the man will either make those sacrifices or delay a family because genetically we can, you know, yeah. or make the excuses they're away from their family and working late and traveling because women, have different outcomes sometimes. And, and by default, that means the businesses they start may be more lifestyle businesses. They may be things that, that aren't necessarily VC capable because VCs are looking at things that scale and multiply and Can tech fits within there. Yeah. Women aren't always doing tech because they, their outcome isn't to go public and have a billion dollar company. It's, you know, so I, I don't think it's limitations as much as it is you know, outcomes that, that maybe the, that haven't been expressed directly. That is but women start a lot of lifestyle businesses and service mm -hmm. businesses because it gives them more flexibility for outcome. Yeah. I like that. And actually, that's very interesting because I've been in business all my life. But if it, in terms of if you were to say, here's here, you know, wishing well, whatever you want to do, what, I'd be a writer, I'd be doing the book signings, I'd be traveling around the place, having fun, writing, writing and not and, and it would be enough to support my family, but it's, I don't want to have a billion dollar business writing books. I don't want to, I don't want to write uh, 50 shades. I want to write books that people read and remember, you know, and again, um, and this is the, the point, Jill, and I'm offline. I can do this with you is my step one of my 10 steps goes through that. And the top level, number one of my 10 steps, my number one of the 10 has a bunch of layers underneath level one says, what is financial independence to you? And we, we don't have time to go through it all, but most people don't know what financial independence is. They don't have a number. And I say, if you were to make enough money to maintain your standard of living for you and your family, what's that number? And whatever that number is, it could be 50,000 a year, 100, 200, 300, a million. We multiply that by 15. And we say, if you had this amount of money saved, you could live off the interests and maintain your standard of living. So our target for you financial independence is, can you build a company that gives you X? And that outcome might be 1.5 million. It might be a hundred million. It might be a billion. I don't care. Then underneath there, it says, if you had more money, what would you do for others? Because you have to shift the resonance that money's bad. Like money makes you more of what you are. If you're a, a, a ass, you're a big ass with money. If you're insecure, you're more insecure. But if you're generous and you want to help people, 
more money gives you freedom to help more people. Yeah. yeah. So we come up with a bigger pool. Now we say, if you had all this money and you didn't have to work, Jillian, what would you want your life to be like? You're like, oh, I would want to write books. What kind? What's your audience? How much would you want to travel? You know, would you want to be on the road 20 days a year, 200 days, 250? You know, if it's 20 days a year, then we need to find a way to get you more sales to reach your financial income, 200 days. So yeah. we reverse engineer your outcome. And then when we know your outcomes, then we can reverse engineer what and who you need. That's very interesting. That's a mini, a mini, a mini uh, workshop just there. Very interesting. Well, even just step one of the 10 takes effort because people don't know their financial. Well, I want to be rich. Here's $4 to a guy in, in, in India. $4 is rich. Yeah. You know, well, I want to travel. Great. You're, you're in Iraq. Well, I don't mean that kind of travel. Well, okay. You're in a hut in the middle of Zimbabwe. No, I like define travel. I want to go somewhere warm on vacation. I just dropped you in Afghanistan on the beach. Oh, I, well, that's, you said travel. Mm. So, so defining and being specific as entrepreneurs, we're, we're not usually walk through those sequences to know how to do it. I, I just condensed hundreds of books and thousands of hours into to steps that people can go through and get infinitely better. Wow. I'm very impressed. That is really, it's speaking to me. I, I can hear it and it makes sense <laughs> even, even as, as I say to an author, as opposed to a, a business person. So um, I'm going to ask you two more questions. Sure. One is easy. Where can people find you? But before that, I mentioned very briefly, and you're wearing the pin, the thanks yeah. for your service. And you did mention too as well, which I was actually, I'm, I was happy to hear that too. So because I do believe a lot means successful also means helping and the right top, top type of successful business helps people. It helps, you know, looks after its employees, its customers, its community, all the rest of it. But tell me a little bit about thanks for your service. What, what is that? Tell me why you set it up and what it does. Yeah, I appreciate it. And my mind works in lane. So lane one that you had asked, the bullseyeguy.com is where I'm able to be found. And the reason I came up with that was I, I do a lot of events around the world whenever I'm traveling and people, I, I knew I was in trouble, Jillian, a couple of years ago when somebody at Davo said, oh, have you met Steven? He's the event guy out of Beverly Hills. He does great events. I'm like, I'm not an event guy. I've, I've built companies. I've had three public companies, but because I did cool events, I didn't have a brand. So the bullseye guy allowed me to not only have a brand, but, but talk about the, the system. So the bullseyeguy.com is the website content's out there. I've got videos, short three to five minute shortcast videos, long podcast interviews, a lot of free content. I'm not a consultant. I'm not selling. It's free. Thanks for your service. I, it, I'll, I'll try and accelerate through because again, it's a little microcosm of how my mind works. Mm-hmm. Uh, about, I don't even know, I don't look backwards, three or four years ago, maybe three, hopefully, probably four with the COVID gap year. Uh, there, there was a, an issue in New York where unfortunately two cops were sitting in a car and somebody walked up and shot them. They were technically the, the adjectives assassinated, which is a very aggressive word, but they, it was tragic. Some random guy walked up, shot these police officers sitting in a car. It was around Christmas. They had kids. Very, very tragic. I was walking through Times Square in New York a couple days later, like January 2nd, and I'm walking through throngs, thousands and thousands of people. And there's two cops standing on the corner watching everybody shopping, protecting idiots like me out shopping. And I thought, how do I tell these guys thank you? 
Like I wanted to say thanks for your service, and but you can't salute because you're not military. You can't walk up and act like you're shaking their hand and look like you're drawing a gun. And so that the 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 end result kind of stuck with me. How do I say thank you? Fast forward to March, same year. I walked out of a restaurant. I had an 8:30 breakfast meeting, um, New York, 35th and Broadway or something. Right as I walk out of the breakfast, I turn, start walking down the street. There's a massive explosion. Now, if you're in New York and an explosion happens, the first thing that goes through people's mind is, oh, bomb, terror. Mm -hmm. But again, my mind's programmed to not think negative. Thousands of hours of training. So the minute my mind went bomb, immediately it went, nope, switch, not nefarious. What else could it be? Could it be something falling off a truck, a car backfire? Like I'm just trained to not go to the negative. But in 30 seconds, the, the street starts moving again as I'm walking second explosion, this time massive fireball blows up out of the street. I watched 250 people turn, screaming, running away. One guy was ah, hair on fire kind of thing. I watched four police officers running towards the, the sound. And it's that thing you hear about first responders, even when it happened, Manchester City, the bombing, the first responders run towards the sound. They mm. don't know what it is, don't know what's going on. They're running to the danger when all of us idiots are running away. And that stuck with me. And New York ended up being a pipe, uh, a gas pipe burst. But the point of it was I wanted to say thank you. And so what I did, reverse engineered, I researched, there's no hand signal there's no official way to say thanks for your service. And so I researched all of the American Disability Sign Language, the ADSL. I researched gang symbols. I researched tactical SWAT symbols from the police. I didn't want to come up with some signal that meant, hey, there's a kid in the trunk. And I researched Al Qaeda and gang symbols. And at the end, I came up with four fingers over your heart as a way to say thanks for your service. So you can't really see the pen. It's a heart with four fingers is the logo. Mm -hmm. And the goal was just to come up with a simple way to say thank you whenever you see a police officer, military veteran, even baristas at Starbucks and the guy when he lands the plane, I started doing this just, I wanted yeah. a universal thank you symbol. And then the last part of it, and, and again, if I'm digressing, it's not, I like building things that help other people be successful. So to me, I was like, all right, thanks for your service is cool. How does it help other people? And where we landed with this, again, the car's built. I hired one guy to drive it. It didn't work. I'll find somebody else. I built something for called the three Fs, foundations, funerals, and fundraisers. If a police officer gets killed, I built thanks for your service with pins and hats, but we did it in, in police blue. Mm -hmm. fire red and military camo where the front has thanks for your service the logo on the heart and the side we can put the officer's badge the fallen officer i did it as a nonprofit, as a merchandise platform i can sell merchandise to families who are trying to raise money i sell it to them at cost i don't want to make money they can then mark the hat up and sell it as a fundraiser because people are more inclined to give money for merchandise than they are to just give money Yes. Yeah. So I can sell them a $6 hat that they can sell for 20 or 30 or $40 and be a fundraising platform. So thanks for your service. It's just a global way to say thank you, but it became a merchandise platform for companies who want to say thank you or for veterans and things like that. Do you know what's very strong in your retelling of the why is 
first responders running towards the danger. Yeah. The rest of us all mad fools run away and they run towards it, which is really, if you think about it, an unbelievable amount of bravery and heroism every day. Yeah, and you so. see it a lot. And, and, and unfortunately, police and things get vilified. I think there's a, a few bad ones, but most of them are good. You see it on TV a lot where a police officer is running towards a car that's about to explode or pulling somebody out of a fire. Like these guys are, are, are putting their lives in on, on, on danger every day for us. And uh, granted there's, there, there's bad circumstances that happen and adrenaline, you know, causes issues, but the, the good majority are out there trying to save lives and protect people. And I just wanted a simple, and I'm not the kind that will go and say, Oh, thanks for your service. And, and when they're working, they don't want people walking up. Mm. But I, that, that was the idea is just, can you build this? And with the masks, it was pretty interesting. We even did masks for a while because you couldn't tell people, thank you. Yes. Yeah. You're wearing a mask. And even if you said, thank you, they're, you're, they're, you're mumbling. So, you know, I missed that window of having this, but the goal is a universal symbol to just, here's, here's a, a quick thank you. That's what it is. Okay. That's lovely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Very interesting. Lots to think about. Um, and especially what I love, the, the outcomes, as I say, you have probably have loads of ideas crossing your desk and crossing your brain, but you're only going to take up those ones which speak to you because the outcomes align. With yeah, I've got purpose. a flat pin. I've got a sandal because people walk in there, their heels invert off the back of their shoes. Somebody needs to read it. Like I've got all kinds of them, but the outcomes aren't. You don't want to be, what's what that chap in, in um, the TV, American TV uh, family, family, the guy who sells shoes. Oh, it's, 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 no, but if you have comedy. a guy sell shoes, let me know. I have, and when, when, when I give the idea, people are like, oh, why has nobody ever done that? I don't know. Like every, the, the, the base of every shoe in the world, it's the same design. All they do is change what's on top. Yeah. Married There's with children. Sorry, the, the TV base. show is, is married with children, a comedy, married with children. Oh, oh, Al Bundy. Yeah. That's all right. the one. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I thought you knew somebody like no, Michael no, no, just, just... guy. I thought there was a shoe guy. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, give me the shoe guy. But you're right. The bottom stays the same. It's innovations on the top. And you're looking yeah, at and there's options. an innovative way to change the bottom for people who invert when they walk and the heel slides off. Mm. And I watch people walk in the back of their heels sliding off and girls hate it because they're their heels get all messed up and then like fix it. But I don't want to be a shoe guy, no, but somebody will fix it Bundy. or I'll give them the idea and take royalties. Yeah. Yeah. That's mad. Thank you very much indeed for your time, Stephen. It's been very, very interesting. And I love our discourse. It's not been your average entrepreneurial questions and uh, conversation. Very interesting. Thank you. Indeed. Uh, thank you. Yes. Anybody can be an entrepreneur. Just figure out what you want to be. That's the one <laughs> and what the outcomes you want. Define your outcomes and be specific. Thank you.